Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got Tony Schaefer with me, and we're going to be talking about mindset. We're going to be talking about pushing through to the edge of your comfort zone, and we're going to be talking about how to avoid procrastination. So they're a very, very interesting set of subjects. So, hello, Tony. Hi, Kevin. Tony, let's, let's start. I know you've got a very, very interesting background and how you got into all of this mindset stuff as a as FD CFO yourself. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got to the position of being a, a, a coach in all of these sorts of areas? Okay, so in my background is I'm qualified chartered accountant. I trained with um, Grant Thornton, did audit and then after that was corporate finance and then I left and moved to work in industry where I spent a few years working for Safeway and then I worked for Virgin Media and then I left Virgin Media and worked for um, WPP Ogilvy for circa 10 years as a finance director. And what I saw, I then, I then, I was, I was there for about 10 years and sort of around maybe sort of eight or nine years and I realized I wanted to do something different and I was quite happy there but it was it was I just felt I'd been doing the same job for quite quite a few years and I wanted to try something different and see what other opportunities were out there and I got I got put in front of me opportunities around doing similar things working for other big networks and it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it there but I wanted to try and see if there was something that actually was was a good different role for me so I got an opportunity to go and work um, at a tech startup as a CFO and that was very different there was a lot of challenges certainly very different to the blue chip world there's a lot of challenges around there and I was there for about 18 months and I learned a lot there but I realized maybe a year or so and it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing full time it wasn't really the thing that I really it wasn't the different thing that I thought that I wanted to be doing and after about I mean maybe been there for about a year or so unfortunately my dad passed away and it made me it was sort of one of those moments that made me have a bit of a reflection on right what do I really want what what's what's it all about for me and I decided I sort of realized actually there'll come a point where I was sort of like early 40s and there'll come a point where actually I sort of think, right, okay, my career will be over in X period of time, but I want to be doing something that I want to be doing. And my career had very much been, you know, a sort of typical going to university, getting a job as a chartered accountant and progressing up the finance ladder. And it'd been a very sort of traditional, conventional um finance role finance route if you like yes I um, many of us have and i i can absolutely see that that's the same as me degree in economics and accounting joined bdo qualified as an accountant went off and got my first job as a business accountant in industry yep those train tracks yeah and i think i think as you say kevin probably so many people go, go down that, that that similar route and almost it becomes the more senior you get, the harder it becomes to move away from it. You almost, to a certain extent, are, if you like, um, subject golden handcuffs. The term the term comes to comes to mind in terms of actually you've got 
you become senior, you've got that level of experience, responsibility and, and clearly compensation and it becomes harder to, to move away from that. But one thing that I'd sort of noticed, I'd always been quite interested in self-development. And one of the things that I noticed, particularly when I was when I was at Ogilvy for about 10 years, that actually what I started realising was that it wasn't so much about knowing how to do the jobs and the technical aspect of the role that that made people progress and the made people really stand out. Because I realised that actually when you got to that certain level, those sort of things were ta almost taken as read. It was almost taken as granted. Okay, well, we know you can do the job. We can know you can do the technical aspect. We know how you'll be able to manage the month end properly, do the forecasting, et cetera, all those sort of things. And it was actually, by the time you've got to that sort of level, you've got your number two and the rest of the team doing all the month end, doing the regular forecast. All they're doing, giving you bits of paper with the numbers on. Absolutely. And, and ensuring that the business is running in the right way and, and almost that even, you know, negotiating with um, with banks or negotiating with clients, all those sort of things, they were almost sort of taken as read that actually you, you, you could do that. So and I, I, I started to realise that actually the, the mechanics of the role were only sort of a small percentage, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20% of what makes a good FD, what makes a good CFO. Actually, the larger part of it was actually the psychology, was the mindset around how you approached things. So when challenges came, how did you respond to them? Did you, did you embrace the challenges? You know, when, when there was that element of uncertainty, did you embrace it or did you try and avoid it? And, and those sort of, the more I realised that particularly working in a large organization where you see different personalities and different people working in different ways, I started to realize that um, that that was that that was that was the case. And as I said, when when unfortunately my dad passed away, it made me start to realize that actually you only get one life. You yeah. only get one, you only get one shot of this. What do I really want to do? And I'd always been interest in the self-development so what I did was I hired myself a coach and I did a coaching course because actually I wanted to I wanted to start being able to help other people in some of the challenges that I felt would help me back in my career yeah and that's that's an interesting one I, you, you're talking about your your father dying and being a, a point that you really reflect on I remember a similar point of reflection um, wasn't a bereavement or anything. It was actually on a a big birthday, but pretty much exactly ten years ago. Um, I was stuck in London, miles, miles away from home in Northumberland, and I was on. It was something we called we called it Project Seamless, but it was effectively we were running the rescue corporate rescue for our own company. The consultancy that I'd worked for had been taken over by a bigger firm. They were pretty much wedded to, to the UK government for contracts and things. And we'd just gone past the 2010 election. And of course, David Cameron and Nick Clegg went straight into uh, austerity. And the last thing you want when you're 100% government supplier is a government that doesn't want to spend any money. So we found that the, the top line of the company was falling away faster than we could get rid of cost. Our profit had very rapidly gone into loss. I remember walking across um, Waterloo Bridge 
on the way back to see the team, uh, having just been in London office and thinking, Kevin, what on earth are you doing here? Working for this oddball Mickey Mouse com- company that's taken over what was a great little cons- independent consultancy business. You started your career working for Blue Chip ICI, Blue Chip PwC. What are you doing here? And that was that similar point for me. And it actually took the company to fall apart and the rescue team being made redundant because we'd gone so far we couldn't rescue anything to to actually make that step. But yeah, that moment you realize that you should be doing something else. It's a it's a big one. Yeah, and I think I think just picking up on something you say sometimes it almost needs something happen. You've got you've got that sort of underlying view that maybe you know this is not really what I want to be doing. I've lost my passion or behind it. And it and it almost sort of when things are just all right, they're not great, you probably don't do that much about it. Almost takes that situation whereby things become really bad or you get that sort of bigger life moment as I maybe had. But you 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 take those things like actually maybe the company doesn't do well. It is not doing well. So actually you're almost sort of backs to the wall. I've got to do something about it. I've got to, I've got to have a bit of change here. Something's got to change because actually it can't continue in the way that it has been. Whereas when it's sort of just going all right, but not that great, there's probably less impetus for you to really force through that change. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, you you made the change. What happened next? So I left the I left the startup that I was working for and I thought, right, okay, I will start doing some I didn't have anything to do and I started no no job to go to and I started thinking, right, I'll do some FD consultancy on a part-time basis, maybe pick one or two days a week. And I started um I started working and, and speaking and having coaching conversations with people. Um and I was predominantly focusing, I've been predominantly focusing on working with senior finance professionals, principally because I understand that world. That's a world that I've been in for however many years. And what I found was, and whilst a lot of, you know, the aspects of mindset, they are universal and it's not necessarily specific to a particular industry. What I found was that the more conversations that I had the big thing, there's sort of like two things that people want when they're having that coaching conversation. One is to have someone that they feel they can really open up to, they can trust and they can sort of maybe be a bit vulnerable. But the other thing is that they can feel that they're really understood, that the person really gets what they're talking about, where they're coming from, the challenges they face and what's really going on in their mind. Yeah. And from that point of view, Tony, I've got a very, very clear belief that if you're a, a CFO, an FD, and you want coaching and mentoring, the best person to get it from is another another CFO or FD. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because there is, there is um, that aspect of the, the person is more likely to be understood and feel understood. And... I think, I mean, there's there's a sort of slight nuances between the, the mentoring and the coaching. And the mentoring is more on the advisory aspect of things and telling actually people, right, okay, well, you've got a problem. I would suggest you do this. I would suggest you do that. Whereas 
a lot of what I do around the non-directive coaching is maybe trying to help them get clarity on what it is that's really holding them back, what the real challenge is, and helping them and almost sort of playing it back to them, but helping them come up with the answers themselves. Yep. Because very often in those, there will be certain situations where mentoring is really more appropriate because they really don't know and they need that guidance from someone more experienced who can actually give them suggestions and things that they maybe wouldn't be able to work out or, or realize themselves. But a lot of when, when I'm having more of the non-directive conversa coaching conversations, it's more about they've got something that's holding them back. There's maybe something that there's a fear, there's unhelpful habitual thoughts that are going on in their mind. And it's what do those thoughts, where are they coming from? What, and what, where are they coming from? And what are the consequences of them continuing to, to hold on to those beliefs that are holding them back? And, and how, could they, how could they best replace maybe those unhelpful habitual thoughts with something that would help them more in pursuit of their goals? Yeah, so without mentioning names or personalising it, you know, give, give me an example of, of what what sort of issues somebody turning up to, to talk to you might have. So um, people talk about, um, quite often people will talk about uncertainty. Yeah. And going for maybe moving themselves. So I've in the past worked with a client who talked about having a particular wanting to progress within the organization in their, in their career. They're working for a large organization and the, an opportunity came up for, for them to apply for a promotion. And I was having a conversation with them and they started asking, telling me that they weren't quite sure whether they'd, whether they which should apply. And I, I was trying to understand a bit more because they quite often, they'd in the past been talking about how they did want this promotion and how they were really, how, how were they, they were looking to get promoted at some point and were looking to take a step up. However, when this situation arose, when the opportunity arose, they all of a sudden were retreating and were thinking, I'm not quite sure whether I should even be going for this. Mm. And, what, and when I started getting under the skin of what was really going on, there was that uncertainty. There was their, they were a financial controller and they were wanting to progress to an FD. Mm. They weren't quite sure what the role involved because they'd never done it before. They weren't 100% sure that they could definitely do it. Because, but you're never going to know, are you? I mean, that's just you're never you're never going to know that sort of. Thing. I I guess that's where procrastination comes into this, Tony. That you you've got that piece of uncertainty you don't quite know, so therefore, rather than doing something, you do nothing. Absolutely, absolutely. And what invariably happens in a situation like that is the pain, because what you're trying to do is avoid that pain. And in this particular example, it was like, I don't really quite know and what happens. I might fail. It might not work out in the way. And I'm sitting in the sea. I'm having to take myself out of my comfort zone. And what invariably happens in a situation like that is, yes, there will be, if you take that step up, there will be an element of discomfort. There'll be an element of pain, if you like, where, where you're not 
you're not completely sure about what you're doing and whether or not there'll be that element, that honey, that not honeymoon period, but that initial period where you're trying to find your feet and thinking, right, to prove yourself that you can do it. And that's natural. You know, that's that, you know, you people talk about having imposter syndrome, for example. Yeah. And people will very often say, you know, imposter syndrome is a bad thing. And in certain instances, actually, it's possibly not such a bad thing because it actually shows that you're making progress. It shows that you're taking yourself out of your comfort zone and actually you're taking that step up when actually you're not 100% sure that you can do the job. Mm. But if you decide, as you were sort of saying, you end up, you procrastinate, you end up doing nothing, you have this underlying frustration that just trickles on in the background, that actually you've got this frustration, you're not fulfilling your potential, you're not really doing what you want to be doing. And whilst <clears throat> you know the pain might not be such that it forces you to really take action, there's this just constant underlying annoyance at yourself, frustration at yourself that you're not really fulfilling the potential that you could be because you're more worried about the potential future consequences of not getting it right. Yeah, and I mentioned that that particular moment in my career of walking across uh, Waterloo Bridge and thinking, what on earth am I doing here? And I, I reflect on that. that. That, in reflection, was total procrastination. I look back and realise I should have left that organisation maybe two, three years before I did. And I didn't leave that organisation for... Ooh, almost two years and it wasn't it was more or less that organization saying to me well there's no longer a job rather than me having proactively gone off and done what I really wanted to do which was like you set my own business up um so how do you encourage somebody to push through from that situation so so in a situation like that for me if I was having a conversation with someone around that it'd be a case of trying to understand what it what is it that's really holding you back what's the real in that in, in that in, example maybe what's the real underlying fear mm. you've got you're in a position whereby you're not really that happy in your job it's causing you frustration it's not you're not fulfilling your potential you know that actually you want to be doing something different but what is it what is that real fear of moving on what is that real fear of taking that next step and for many people it is is that fear of the unknown it's that fear of the uncertainty if for for example you're talking about you're in you're working in the corporate world where you've got that certainty you've got that certainty about income so you know how much you're going to be paid it's going to appear in the bank account at the end of each month you've got that certainty about what you're going to be doing and quite a lot of people talk about being on a hamster wheel and talking about actually just I'm doing the same thing week in week out or month in month month in month out and that you get particularly within finance there's a lot of structure to the to to the job and at times when you're in that it can be quite frustrating and quite annoying but actually, interestingly, I found that when I left the corporate world, I found that quite challenging because you almost had become institutionalized 
and that you had that whilst at the time it was frustrating and it was it was annoying it was an element of comfort in it as well whereas so if you're leaving a lot of those things behind and you've got and you've also got a support structure there when you're in a corporate whereas actually when you leave that to go and do something for yourself it's very different you're almost you're on your own it's what am I going to, there's no one telling me what to do and there's no one guiding me. You know, even when you're an FD, it might not be people telling you on a day-to-day basis what you're doing, but you're guided. You're guided by, you know, when I worked for um, for one of the big networks, you knew what you had to be doing. You knew presentations that had to be made by a certain point. You knew that the you know, numbers had to be delivered by, you were being guided by a certain, you know, in a certain way by, by certain people. Whereas when you're on your own, when you're working for yourself, it's very different. It's really up to you to, to actually, you know, do or not do what you can or what you choose. And for certain people or, in, you know, at certain times that's very liberating, but at other times that's actually quite, you're taking yourself out of your comfort zone if you've been living and working in the corporate world for 20 plus years. It's interesting. One of the, one of the best business books I've read in the last couple of years is by a guy called John Lamerton. Now John's not a finance guy like us, but he's, he's running his own business. And John has as his, one of his key values that he does what he wants, when he wants, if he wants. But when you actually dig under that and see what he puts in his book, his book is called Routine Machine. And you know yeah. what? He's put all of those disciplines in place that you and I would be familiar with as accountants. You know, It's yeah. this time in the morning, therefore I'll do that. And though he's got all of this freedom, he's actually put that huge, huge structure around him to get stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is about building, you know, habits and building routines that will will suit you and will suit the way you want to work and the way you operate. And I think the 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 beauty of I suppose working for yourself is you've got you've got more flexibility about doing that and you can build the structure that best yeah, suits you. We haven't we just We've moved away from that that CFO role a little bit, but isn't the same thing somewhat true? You are your financial controller, you're head of finance, and therefore you were used to that real drumbeat of the finance function all of the time. Is one of the things that actually is a problem when you become FD or CFO that that drumbeat isn't quite there in the same way? Somebody else is doing it, and you're kind of out of that loop a little bit, isn't is? Is that one of the things you think it's it's mindset? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's I've never really thought about it like that, but it's an interesting perspective because actually what I'm taking from what you're saying is as an FC or a, or a head of finance, more of the role requires reactivity. Yes. You, you know what you're doing. You, you've got that structure in terms of the certain things that you have to be doing by a certain date, which are relatively predictable on a month by month basis. Yeah. Whereas as a CFO or an FD, 
There'll be elements that are react that require reactivity based on the wider business and decisions that have to be made. But there's quite a bit of proactivity as well. And that's of, where you get the change out of your comfort zone. Having absolutely. to be much more pro- proactive rather than reactive. Yeah, yeah. You're a lot you're a lot more strategic and you're yeah. a lot more thinking about right, what's the bigger picture? And it might be the case that actually, right, okay. I've got no impending deadlines now for the next day or two, but that doesn't mean I don't have anything to do. Actually, we now now need to start thinking, right, okay, what's the potential implications of this new revenue stream? Or should we be doing starting a strategic alliance with this business or whatever it may be? And it requires as as a commercial strategic CFO, you to be thinking, right, okay, be more proactive to actually be thinking about all those various things that you could be doing that are that are that no one's telling you to do that are mm. that are going to add value to the business and move and really step change the business working along very much alongside the CEO in terms of helping them realize the wider ambitions of the business so tony in terms of absolute practical advice here you you've stepped up from that largely reactive role into what's now requiring you to be much more proactive are there three or four key things that you need to do in order to become that proactive person yeah i mean i think what i would say is i would say like that we When you're, when you're thinking about, from a mindset perspective, if you're thinking about the sort of things that actually, right, you've got a fair idea about what you want. So you probably would want to start trying to get a vision of where you want to go. You're wanting to step up. And intuitively, there might be certain aspects that you're maybe holding yourself back on. So there might be there might come within the within the day-to-day role if you're an FC or with it of your head of finance. There might come opportunities where the more senior people are not around where you have that opportunity to step up. Or you just decide that you try want to try and put yourself out there and put yourself a bit more forward to take on some of those more senior initiatives. If you find yourself stopping doing that, ask yourself why. Ask yourself what it, what is the fear. That, that is holding you back, you know, whether and whether it be an element of, take, you know, that taking yourself out of your comfort zone, that element of that uncertainty. Start by, by starting to become more aware around that, that will start to help you get more clarity on, right, okay, what is it, the things that you're scared, that you're scared, that you're scared of? Because you'll have an idea of an, a vision, but if we're talking about, the mindset being the things that are holding us back, there'll be maybe an underlying fear or maybe a limiting belief about yourself that actually you might have a belief that actually, well, I'm not capable of being an FD. I'm not capable of being a CFO. And if you tell yourself that, you're probably right. But actually, by starting to question, okay, well, where does that belief come from? Why am I not? Why am I not able to operate that at that level? You might find that there's certain beliefs within there that um, they're not necessarily true. 
but you've just told them told yourself that they are true but actually when you get under the skin of it you find they're not um so for me i think you know, aware starting to become awareness is is quite is quite important in terms of actually that aspect of what, what you tell what's your internal dialogue telling you what 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 sort of stories are you telling yourself that may that you that may not be that may not be helpful um another thing that i would say would be around sort of maybe starting to develop a bit more gravitas and thinking about if you've got let's just say you're you're operating at an fc level start to consider and look at and maybe mirror the the cfo if you're sort of feeling actually okay well i wouldn't mind stepping into their shoes further down the line start to try and sort of look at what they do which you think is actually it is, is is generating gravitas. It gives them that credibility at that more senior level because very often, you know, the difference between the 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 FC or the FD or the FD and the CFO is just it's how they turn up. It's how they're perceived by others, um, not necessarily as we talked about necessarily about technical ability, but by starting to become more aware of right, okay, well. How do they how do they respond? And I'm watching the way they respond, watching the way react to certain situations. And maybe asking yourself, when you get such a similar situation, asking yourself, how would so-and-so respond? How would so-and-so? And by um, and by asking yourself that, you're starting to reframe the way you would automatically respond, as opposed to going into an automatic response the way you've always done it, you're starting to ask yourself, how would they respond? That that makes a huge, huge amount of sense, Tony. And th- those are those are three or four very, very powerful things that you can certainly do. Um, I'm conscious that that actually that last one of how would such and such person respond is one that I've used quite a lot. And I, I've almost got a mini a mini boardroom sitting in my brain. Yeah. Depending on the situation. And I think about well, my dad was a chartered accountant. In public practice, there's a lot of things that says, what would that do in this situation? Um, I got heavily into learning about internet business. And that's one of the reasons that Dan and I are working together. And there are, there are a couple of gurus that I work with in, in the early days of experimenting with things there. And it'd be, uh, what would Jason do in this situation? And things like that. I think that's a very, very powerful one, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the beauty of that is sometimes by thinking about that, it allows you to slightly depersonalize it and it allows you to think about it from a slightly more rag- rational perspective because you could be caught up in, like, let's just say you're an FC and the CEO has come to you with a particular question. When you're sort of when you're asked that question, you're probably thinking about it very much from your perspective. You're probably thinking about, okay, I've got to make sure that I don't say something stupid. You might hold back on saying something which you know, which you intuitively feel is correct, but you hold back because you're not 100% sure and you maybe play safe and err on the side of caution. In, 
it by doing it. But actually, if you can maybe ask yourself, how would so-and-so respond, then that sort of makes you think less about what you're worried about. And you've got that slightly more objective view that actually, well, that's what how I believe they would respond. So actually, I can be pretty confident that that's a, a sensible, logical, beneficial way to respond. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And Tony, that has been absolutely fantastic. I think there's there's loads in there for our listeners to get their minds around and certainly get your minds around your mindset. Great absolutely. way to it. Uh, Tony, and thank, thank you very much. I very much enjoyed the conversation.